Today's episode of Our Close of Business is sponsored by Better Living Showcase. All the latest business news from WA, delivered daily. At Close of Business, News Briefing. Good afternoon and welcome to the At Close of Business podcast. This is Simone Grogan with your Thursday afternoon headlines. Malaysian conglomerate Saim Darby Burhad has bought National Equipment Hire Agency on-site rental for $635 million in a bid to diversify its presence in the Australian market. OnSite, which has nine branches in Western Australia, offers a broad range of rental assets such as excavation and earth-moving equipment, site accommodation and traffic management. The New South Wales-based company also offers digital rental management software and industry-specific solutions for mining, oil and gas and construction sectors. Syme Darby Burhad subsidiary Syme Darby Allied Operations acquired the company to diversify its industrial rental equipment offerings across industries in Australia. The Malaysian company's industrial division focuses on the sale and rental of heavy equipment and industrial solutions, particularly in the mining and construction industry. OnSite was previously majority owned by a group of institutional investors led by Frank Templeton Investments, Merrill Lynch International and Glendon Capital Management. The remaining 16% was owned by various shareholders. And in other news, the Australian Securities and Investments Commission has permanently banned Perth property fundraiser Sean Niven from providing financial services almost three years after he was convicted for fraud. Mr Niven was convicted for two offences, breaching the Bankruptcy Act in the Perth Magistrates Court in April 2020. Asset claimed Mr Niven made a declaration he knew to be false and disposed property with the aim to defraud creditors. The Commission today announced Mr Niven had been permanently banned from providing any financial services or engaging in any credit activities or performing any related functions. According to ASIC, Mr Niven became known because of his fundraising efforts for property developments on behalf of Skyline Apartments Melbourne and Seed Equity Group. Mr Niven is also banned from controlling any entity that carries on a financial services business or another person who engages in credit activities. ASIC said Mr Niven's ban would be recorded in its register, but he had a right to appeal the Administrative Appeals Tribunal for a review of the decision. And in other news, Artrage Chief Executive Sharon Burgess has announced she will step down from her role, having led the Northbridge-based arts not-for-profit since late 2019. In a statement released this afternoon, Ms Burgess said she was proud to have led Artrage through some of its toughest years during the pandemic and would be returning to her home country of Scotland. It is unclear when Ms Burgess will officially leave the role, but is believed to be remaining with the organisation until a new chief executive has been selected. She said the past few years had been immensely challenging for Artrage in the wider arts sector and was proud to have led the organisation. Ms Burgess joined Artrage, which produces the annual multi-arts Fringe Festival Fringe World and Rooftop Movies in August 2019. During her tenure, Ms Burgess oversaw the launch of Fringe Sunday Funday, supported by Lottery West, and expanded Artrage's reach under the Artrage Projects banner and a new Artrage philanthropy programme. And finally, Australia's consumer protection body is clamping down on greenwashing after discovering more than 50% of businesses made misleading claims about their environmental credentials. Last year, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission conducted an internet sweep of 247 businesses, finding that 57% had made concerning claims about their environmental sustainability practices. Of the industry surveyed, the majority of the misleading or unclear claims came from the cosmetic, clothing and footwear, food and drink sectors. HCCC Deputy Chair Catriona Lowe said the outcome indicated a significant proportion of businesses were making vague or unclear environmental claims. She also said consumers were increasingly making purchasing decisions on environmental grounds. 
It comes in the same week that the Australian Securities and Investments Commission announced it was launching its first court action against alleged greenwashing conduct. And that's all from me this afternoon. Coming up next on the podcast, we have Matt McKenzie and Jordan Murray. Want to get more out of life? The Better Living Showcase has exactly what you're looking for. WA's leading health, wealth and happiness event, packed with live presentations, interactive performances, networking, investment, health and financial advice. You name it. It's all about helping you live your best life. March 18 and 19 at the Perth Convention and Exhibition Centre. Get your tickets now at betterlivingshowcase.com.au. Welcome back to our Close of Business. I'm Jordan Murray. Today joined by Senior Journalist Matt McKenzie. Matt, how are you this afternoon? I'm excited to be here, Jordan, talking about a topic which is pretty important. Indeed it is. It's to do with our housing construction sector here in Western Australia. And to be frank with you, Matt, it seems to be a bit of a shambles at the moment. Can you tell me what it is that's going on? Well, there's been a lot of problems and Business News has reported about many of the big insolvencies that we've had, companies that have collapsed. Uh, We've reported on some of the issues around pressure in the home building sector. And first up, it's just worth mentioning that there was a lot of stimulus that was pumped into the industry during the pandemic. And that was obviously done with some good intentions, but perhaps not necessarily great foresight by the state and federal governments. Huge amounts of stimulus. And in our reporting at Business News, when some of these companies started to go insolvent a few years ago, it was highlighted at the time that there had been massive stimulus across the globe, in fact, for construction, whether it be infrastructure projects, whether it be home building, and that drove up the prices of a lot of materials. So it was not easy for construction companies who are having their costs going up and up and up. There have been issues around worker shortages. And Business News identified some of these problems at the time. Uh, And I remember at the time there were people, even Premier Mark McGowan, I think, was confused as to why building companies were going under during a boom. Well, it was because of the costs issue. So let there be no doubt that I'm aware of these problems. No one probably talks more about the impact of government stimulus over the last few years than I have. But there is another question that needs to be resolved. People often say that this issue in the housing industry has been like a snake eating a wombat. And the question is, has the snake been greedy? And something to think about here is this. There's been a, a bit of debate recently about indemnity insurance and about insurance caps. Something to consider is the idea is that you need to have one of these indemnity insurance policies when you start building a house. Theoretically, it would be possible for a company to sign on lots and lots of contracts way above their indemnity insurance cap. Uh, and then, of course, you can imagine they wouldn't be able to get the permits, they wouldn't be able to get uh, the approvals which follow after that. And so it would delay the, um, the building and construction of new homes. And it's not illegal. It's not illegal to sign a contract and then come back to it later and get the indemnity insurance later. It's only illegal if you take a deposit uh, or if you start proceeding with works. That's how I understand it. That's something which I'm sure has not been widespread in the industry, but I believe there have been examples of where that has happened, Jordan. Uh, And so it just goes to show that builders took on a lot of work. Most of them, no doubt, tried to do the, the right thing, but definitely there have been some that have been maybe not behaving as well as they should, Jordan. And upon reflection, we talked about stimulus before. Hindsight is twenty twenty, and it would seem that now that we look back on the COVID era and the amount of money that was pumped into the construction sector, that maybe at the time it was overdone. 
Yeah. So this morning, Libby Metham spoke about this at a press conference, and as far as I could tell, she couldn't. She wasn't really drawn as to whether it was a good or a bad idea. And she did say, "Well, you know, these are things that we we know in hindsight." Um, but she she pointed out that the government could have predicted some of the challenges that came into the sector. Uh, through these grants. And we know that some of the industry associations even pointed this out in mid-2020 that there were going to be uh, problems. Uh, She said, today, uh, there has been a lower level, a much lower level of home starts. And so we're in this position now where we've got this housing problem. We've got a a problem with um, people, especially in social housing, who are in need, who can't get the homes that they need. We've got rent skyrocketing. And yet at the same time, we're not getting a huge amount of construction work happening because of all the problems in the industry. So while she didn't necessarily have um, uh, a huge array of policy ideas just yet as to how to fix it, she said, well, perhaps the government should have seen this stuff coming. And if it was a crisis a few years ago when housing starts were very low, they're at a very similar level now isn't it a crisis now? That's been her argument. Now, yesterday the state government came out and uh, they have been occasionally making announcements on this topic. People might remember in April last year, the Premier said that these were problems uh, which were problems of success, the building companies falling over. And then he was on the front page of um, the West Australian this morning with a with a similar angle. That it's all about how good the economy is, which I think would, would make some people who are waiting for their homes to be built a little bit unhappy. But the Premier and the government did announce yesterday that they would be adopting a task force, um, a work a working group with the Master Builders Association to pursue potential changes to um, the, the way that the government interacts with the industry. Now, as best I can tell, that's not hugely relevant for home builders. It's more about tendering for state government work and the pricing of contracts and all those sorts of things. So it's something that the Master Builders Association has been really lobbying for. Whether these are actually the changes that are going to be necessary uh, or whether they're changes that might just benefit commercial builders, it's not clear yet, which is probably why the government needs to step things up a bit and go a little bit more widespread in what it's looking at, Jordan. And I just want to ask quickly about the situation with BGC. They've been in the news quite frequently in recent days. What's going on there? So BGC uh, have told us that they introduced a really significant cap on the number of new home builds that they accept in about June last year, June 2022. And what they've been doing is trying to focus on the existing houses that they're building. And if you look at the data uh, over the last couple of years, they increased dramatically the number of homes they were building uh, during that period where there was a lot more activity, and then they've reduced it dramatically. Um, and it's worth pointing out there that not every other builder has reduced it dramatically, but they are one of the state's biggest and they have reduced it dramatically. Um, I think from my recollection of conversations with them, they've said that their market share was reasonably consistent um, during that big boom in building compared to before. But what they have done in the in the past year is try to slow things down a bit so they can, can complete the houses that they have already signed on to build. And it's worth thinking about here that it has been widely reported that there is a law firm that's looking at a class action with BGC. Obviously, those things are in very early stages. uh, But BGC has basically said what they're trying to do is do the right thing um, and get the homes that they've already started completed. So that was the thinking there. And just broadly speaking here, there have been quite a lot of complaints out in the ecosystem at the moment. Uh, Where is that leading us? So the number of complaints over contractual disputes that go to the Building Commission, and it's the Building Commission that deals with a lot of these things or are supposed to be the, the ones that deal with this first up before you know the courts and all the rest of it, the number of contractual disputes basically doubled from one financial year to the next and it's on track to be even higher again this year. Now, 
The Building Commission told me in a recent article that they've managed to keep the average timeline for dealing with these complaints reasonably consistent at about 26 weeks, despite the huge amount of extra work because they've been getting extra resources in. So that's a positive thing. But 26 weeks is a very long time. If you can imagine if you're in dispute with a builder and um, you know you can't sign off the contract, finalise the contract, get the keys, move into the house until all of this stuff is resolved, 26 weeks on average, that means sometimes a lot more, uh, is a very long time to be waiting to you know get a resolution, uh, and that's that may I mean it adds to the difficulties for for people who are trying to build their own homes. You can imagine not only have they had these projects delayed dramatically by all of the supply chain issues and all the rest of it. Not only have a lot of people had to deal with rising prices in their in their contracts, but they've also had to deal with these very very long processes to go through and resolve disputes. Uh, and it just adds to the frustration because you've got to be paying rent or you've got to be finding somewhere to live for a lot longer than you expected. So you can imagine if you were thinking that you get your house built in six or nine months back in 2020 and you're still waiting for it to be built, and then you want to go through this um, complaints process, just so difficult for people out there trying to get their homes built. Um, so that's uh, the Building Commission's role. Some of these things then go on to the State Administrative Tribunal, which no doubt has its hands, fill, uh, hands full. Um, and uh, one would question whether there's a way that we can sort of improve this system just to make it operate a lot more quickly. Obviously, the Building Commission is doing what they can do, but that's a question for the state government and others to be considering more broadly is how they can improve the system for dealing with complaints in the building industry, Jordan. To read more coverage from Business News, head online now to businessnews.com.au. Matt, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Jordan. The latest business news delivered daily. Subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. For all the latest business news, visit businessnews.com.au. Today's episode of Our Close of Business is sponsored by Better Living Showcase.